Good morning. Welcome to chapel. Thank you all for being here on a Wednesday morning. Um, it is my pleasure to welcome with us this morning Ruby Sales, who will be on campus um, for the next three days, speaking and sharing with us on the theme of faith and activism. Ruby Sales describes herself as a long-distance activist for justice. She began activism work at age 15 with the Student Nonviolence Coordinating Committee in Lowndes County, Alabama. It was in Lowndes County that she came to understand what it means to be a part of a movement for social change and how to work alongside ordinary people to achieve it. Sister Sales has preached around the country on race, class, gender, and reconciliation as well as working on community and nonviolence formation. Sister Sales attended Tuskegee Institute, Manhattanville College, and Princeton University. And most recently, in 1998, she earned her Master's of Divinity degree from the Episcopal Divinity School in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where she specialized in feminist, African-American, and liberation theologies. She is currently the director of the Spirit House Project, which is located in um, Columbus, Georgia. The Spirit House Project focuses on interconnections of race, poverty, militarism, and state violence. This morning, Ruby will be sharing her journey of life and faith with us, and then she will also be speaking tonight at Campus Worship Night at 9.15, and also on our regular chapel on Friday. So I hope you can join us again for some of those other events. Now, as we move into a time of worship, I'd invite you into a time of prayer. Gracious and merciful God, we give you thanks for this day, for bringing us here safely for the sunshine, for the fresh air. We're especially grateful this morning for Ruby's presence with us. Speak through her. Open our ears and our hearts to hear your truth challenge us to live ever more faithful lives. As I light our lamp this morning, may the flame remind us of your ever near presence. Make yourself known to us this morning in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please turn in your Sing the Journey books to number 13, My Soul is Filled with Joy. And we will sing verses 1, 4, and 5.
I will be reading Luke 1, verses 46 to 55, the Magnificat or Mary's song. Mary said, My soul proclaims your greatness, O God, and my spirit rejoices in you, my Savior, for you have looked with favor upon your lowly servant, and from this day forward, all generations will call me blessed. For you, the Almighty, have done great things for me, and holy is your name. Your mercy reaches from age to age for those who fear you. You have shown strength with your arm. You have scattered the proud in their conceit. You have deposed the mighty from their thrones and raised the lowly to high places. You have filled the hungry with good things while you have sent the rich away empty. You have come to the aid of Israel, your servant, mindful of your mercy, the promise you made to our ancestors, to Sarah and Abraham and their descendants forever. Now please welcome Ruby Sales to the front. Good morning. First, I'd like to begin by thanking Tamara and the campus ministry staff, her sisters and brothers, for inviting me to come to be with you, the Goshen community, this morning. It's very good to see your bright and early faces. Every time I hear Mary's song, I must confess that I am filled with tremendous hope and tremendous sadness. I'm filled with sadness because I remember a young activist named Jonathan Daniels who heard the call for justice as he listened to Mary's song at Evensong at the Episcopal Divinity School. And I'm filled with hope because I think that Mary's song is one of the most hopeful freedom songs that have resonated throughout the ages. And because I am hopeful, and because I remember my soul doth magnify God because God for generations throughout generations have stood with the people of God to shake the walls of injustice. How great is God. I am filled with hope as I stand here with you this morning at Goshen College in the first decade of the 21st century, as I stand here among young people whose vibrant energy can change the course of this nation and the suffering around the globe, if you choose to do it, that is. As young people entrenched in a faith tradition that roots itself in nonviolence, you have a solid jumping off point to change the militaristic and state violence that pollute our country and pollute the world. 
you stand at a very good vantage point as young people to let your light of freedom shine from the United States to Iraq, from Goshen, Indiana to Lowndes County, one of the poorest counties in the United States. Lowndes County is part of a black belt of 111 counties that extend from Virginia to Texas. These counties are majority black, they are majority poor, and they are the site of inexcusable poverty and injustice that is a carryover from slavery and Southern apartheid. And it is time right now, this morning, in this room in America, to thank God for the opportunity that he gives you as young people to play a critical, to play a role in this critical juncture in American history. To use your resources and gifts to build up the world, not tear it down. And when we work to build up the world, we answer a call for the long haul rather than a call for a day on and a day off. We live in a world where the power brokers and their revisionist allies reduce activism and work for justice as an event or an activity. They tell us that today there's an upsurge in youth activism because young people will vote in large numbers. I disagree. I disagree. We must not choose exercising our rights to vote with activism. Activism is community work where you journey and organize with other people to, to move towards justice. The struggle, therefore, for peace and justice is a constant struggle that we cannot discard like yesterday's hat and last year's overcoat. The adversaries of justice and nonviolence over and over, win over and over again, not because they are smarter than we are, but because they keep their eyes on their mission with a vengeance and non-bending persistence. Unlike us, they work from generation to generation to fuel and refuel the engines of injustice and violence. And when we choose to become an activist, we choose the way that Jesus walked. We choose to walk with people whom the state reduces as human waste. We choose to be on the road, making new friends and working with other people to remove the impediments of state oppression. And like Jesus, we work from a vision of a beloved community that recognizes and reaffirms our common connections. In other words, when we work for justice, we do more than talk and reflect. We act and we make a commitment, a serious commitment to break with empire culture, to create a new nonviolent and just culture And this is serious business that you cannot do with the encumbrance of credit cards and technological gadgets. 
This is serious business. And my ancestors during enslavement knew that change is serious business that requires us to make ourselves over as we struggle to remake the world. They sang, I told Jesus gonna be all right if he changes my name. I told Jesus gonna be all right if he changes my name. I might go hungry, I might have enemies, but I told Jesus gonna be all right if he changes my name. How many of you in this audience today are willing to tell Jesus it'll be all right if he changes your name from foe to friend, from conformist to nonconformist, from talker to doer for social justice, and from a child of the state to a child of God. This morning, let me tell you about a group of young people who are willing to change our names. My friends and partners in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Jonathan Daniels, Kwame Ture, also known as Stokely Carmichael, Bob Mance, Gloria House, Mary Nell Billups. We all came to Lowndes County during the Southern Freedom Movement to work for freedom and justice with the local African-American people and their white allies. We all answered a call to go down to Alabama and become youth activists. It was a call that changed our lives and challenged our deepest assumptions about God, ourselves, and the world. And I heard that call, that life-changing call, as a 16-year-old student at Tuskegee running around playing Big Nick and drinking Catawba Pink and swimming naked at the local pond. Jonathan Daniels heard that call at Evensong as he sang the Magnificat at the Episcopal Divinity School in Massachusetts. John heard a call to go to Alabama to heed Martin Luther King's call to clergy to come there to stand in solidarity with movement workers whom state troopers, troopers brutally beat on the Elma Pettus Bridge. The words he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly, entered into John's spirit and made him utter with joy, I think I'll go to Alabama. And it was one of those rare spiritual moments where the heart meets the head. It was a powerful moment where the Holy Spirit broke through the sound barrier of racism that was a part of Jonathan's daily life and connected him to the sounds and actions of his black brothers and sisters in Alabama singing, marching, living, sacrificing, dying, standing in, praying in, and sitting in for freedom. Stokely Carmichael heard that call after brutal beatings in Mississippi and a torturous 90-day jail sentence in Parchman Penitentiary where the state of Mississippi threw the Freedom Riders in. He came to Alabama, still filled with a deep impulse for freedom, 
after working in one of the most violent and dehumanizing states in the Union. My heart fills up this morning with tenderness as I remember how our common struggle for justice bound us together in a beloved community of young and old, black and white, male and female, heterosexual and same gender loving people. More than 40 years later, the memories of African American sharecroppers and farmers sharing their homes, meager food, and abundant love with the young SNCC organizers still fill me with wondrous awe. And therefore, this song that I sing with you this morning, it is a love song. It is a love song that has stood the test of years. It is a love song that resounds louder and deeper than the white terrorism, assassination, and hatred that we face daily as young freedom workers in Lowndes County, Alabama. And more than 40 years ago, my young friends and I went to the courtroom in Lowndes County, Alabama. We went as witnesses, young witnesses, to tell the story of how Tom Coleman shot Jonathan Daniels and Father Marsrow in cold blood in front of Cash Grocery Store. I was little more than a girl, 17 years old, and little less than five feet tall, the descendant of slaves and, and the daughter of ordinary people. And on that day, I stood in that courtroom amid the jeers, name calling, and threats of white men and women who spread out their hatred and defiance of the Constitution and menacing and loud gups of nigger, B-I-T-C-H. We hear that word a lot today, don't we? We're gonna talk about that before I leave. Despite my trembling knees and broken heart over the murder of Jonathan, I came that day determined to speak the truth, even if it cost me my life. And my friends who had witnessed the assassination of Jonathan also felt this quiet and stirring determination that would not be quieted. We all waited in the rain, the pouring rain, to speak because some of the state's most brutal gatekeepers and agents refused to allow those nigger animals in the waiting room of the courthouse. And we stood in the rain and standing there, we were young, we were angry, we were afraid, we were in love with justice, and we were determined to witness and to make sure that the community would be held accountable for the murder of our young freedom worker friend, ally, Jonathan Daniels. Our desire to tell the truth and to testify was a burning flame in our hearts. It was a burning flame in our spirits and minds that had been lit by the example of local people who faced white terrorism every day as they put their entire lives on the line for freedom. Their courage, commitment, and willing sacrifice provided the solid ground that we stood on as young organizers and activists for freedom. It gave us the courage and the passion to wake up every day and mean the words that we sing, saying, 
I will die for my freedom if the Spirit says die. We were not wishing to be martyrs, but we, were not, we would not let death, the fear of death, turn us around. We sang that song because it gave us the courage and passion and the conviction to move forward. And as a community of young activists singing this song, we as a beloved community in action for justice had moved to another level of spiritual consciousness. This liberating and transcending vision of freedom and community turned the meaning of life and death upside down and linked us in a continuum. It linked our lives with the past and present. It placed our struggle within the context of meta-history. And it enabled us to see a world that was larger and wider than where we stood. Our vision for freedom was a timeless cry that resounds throughout the ages and is remembered and celebrated from generation to generation. This vision and passion stirred in Jonathan's bosom as he pushed me aside and placed his body self in front of mine in the line of fire. Jonathan saved my life, and his act of love and generosity and faith deeply touched my seven-year-old mind, heart, and spirituality. I knew that I, as the one standing, must speak the truth at all costs of what happened that day, and I must continue to witness for justice throughout my life, no matter the cost, no matter the hardship. Because in the long run, a struggle for justice is better than silence in the face of injustice. This collective vision of freedom and struggle steadied my feet as I stood in that alien and hostile court environment in the face of what was described as one of the greatest white lawyers in Alabama trying to break me down to speak what he wanted me to speak rather than what I had seen. Over 40 years ago, young sisters and brothers, I know older than many of you in this room, probably younger, went to the courthouse in Lowndes County as a lone black girl to raise Jonathan's name out of a conspiracy of white cover-up and silence. Today, I stand as part of a remaining community of long-distance justice runners. And I'm grateful, I must tell you, my soul doth magnify the Lord. I'm grateful for the journey. I'm grateful for the companionship and I'm grateful for the opportunity to work with the new generation. I'm grateful for the opportunity to work for justice in another critical moment in this nation's history, in this period of our history where there's a deep troubling in the American soul. The Magnificat, or Mary song, first and foremost, is a praise song that thanks God for what God has done for God's people. 
Throughout the ages and despite the circumstances and countless times, God has brought God's people out of oppression into the light of freedom. This is what we celebrate today as we remember the road that blacks and whites have walked in Alabama and in Lowndes County and in the nation. A walk that goes all the way back to the abolitionist movement. A walk that goes all the way back to people who joined in solidarity against the genocide of Native American people. A movement that goes all the way back to people who joined in solidarity against this nation movement against Mexican Americans. A movement that goes all the way back to a time when the nation disenfranchised Native Americans, women, prisoners, black people, and people from other communities of color. This is what we celebrate. And I just want to tell you this morning that so powerful was God's commitment and tenderness of heart that God said, I've heard my people down there in Alabama, in Lowndes County, groaning for freedom. And I say to Pharaoh down in Alabama, you just better let my people go. With that declaration, with that awesome declaration, God stood side by side with young and old, black and white freedom workers and we broke the back of one of the most powerful legal, social, and religious systems that had been in place for more than 300 years. And the incredible victory is that we did it without firing a shot. That's the story. We did it without firing a shot. That's the story that you're never told. I just want to say that despite all of the obstructions that existed in Alabama, God liberated European Americans and their children from the death-driven and dehumanized history of being the architects and perpetuators of terrorism and injustice. And in that same powerful and generous swoop, God removed the burdensome and dehumanizing oppression and non-negotiable violence and white supremacy that my people, African Americans, had lived with and withstood with tremendous faith for more than 300 years. White supremacy and terrorism tainted all of our lives. It inhibited our abilities to become more fully human. It had trapped us in a cross-current and static history where there were very few ways out. God saw and understood our needs, and God and God's most forgiving, compassionate, and hopeful self transformed our lives and transformed the Southern landscape. In the words of the black spiritual, God changed our names. God changed our names from oppressor and oppressed to simply neighbors. In doing so, God opened up and enlarged the narrowness of our world and removed us from the jaws of a deadly and static history. In essence, God removed years of cumber from our hearts and lives and gave us a clear vision straight to the heart of God's kingdom. 
What an ordinary gift God gave to God's people. And like Mary this morning, I want you to join me in your hearts in saying, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Even as we remember these gallant men and women, the ordinary people in Lowndes County who stood up for justice, we must remember that there's a story, another story, a subtext that we call it, within this story. It is a story of white allies who stoked the flames of justice in the face of ridicule, anger, and unyielding punishment from their families, friends, and neighbors. They kept their eyes on the prize of injustice and refused to bow down at the altar of whiteness, violence, and injustice. Together and side by side, we who never would have met had we not chosen this path, worked side by side to fashion one of the most liberating spiritual movements of the 20th century. And I believe without a doubt that God stood at the heart of that movement. Ours was a movement governed by love and not by hatred, by possibilities rather than impediments, by inclusion rather than exclusion, by collective commitment and not individualism. It was a movement where the pervasive and collective vision, common vision, called on us to imagine a welcome table where God the host welcomed us, no matter our age, no matter our class, no matter our differences. God welcomed us as legitimate heirs to God's creation. And I stand before you today that there are still people out there where this vision lives in their hearts. And although this gives us hope, we are painfully aware that it is not the whole truth. Many Europeans Americans today use their power and resources to try to bring back the old days. And at the same time, many African Americans abuse our freedom for our own aggrandizement and personal interests and ego gratification. We forget to tell our children how God brought us out of the arid desert of oppression into the harvest of freedom. In our forgetfulness, greed, and irreverence, we become the very people who ruled our lives. We become agents of Pharaoh. And yet, despite these troubling realities, we cannot deny that Jonathan and his brother and sister organizers, young organizers, brought in a new day that lessened the distance between oppressors and oppressed. And in this transformed world, you bear, I bear, the responsibility for our lives and the choices that we make. In the short and long term, every one of us has a responsibility for the future and the present. And I must tell you right now, let me share with you, I'm worried about the future. I worry about churches that hide right-wing, hateful, violent, and militaristic actions behind the cloak of God and country. 
I worry about my people whose hearts grow hard and greedy with the wine of the world. I worry about all of our hearts hardened by materialism and a technocracy that dismisses the dispossessed and turns our hearts and minds away from everything except our own desires and interests. I worry about the anger of many young white males, young and old, who worship at the altar of guns and violence. This is not a new story. It is a story that spewed out of Tom Coleman's gun as he shot Jonathan Daniels down dead. I worry about politicians who sell our dreams and hard work to the highest corporate bidders. I worry that we will let politicians make us believe that they can carry us to freedom rather than the people can carry themselves. And finally, I worry about the prison industrial complex, and I hope you worry about it too, because more than a million plus people are trapped there, black people are trapped there, and we let them stay because we believe that they deserve to be there. In closing, I've been told that I need to close. Today is a bright day for young activists. It is your time to seize the moment to build a 21st social justice spiritual movement that rocks the walls of injustice. Somewhere in this room sits a Fannie Lou Hamer, a Jonathan Daniels, a Bob Moses, Connie Curry, Richard Morris Rowe, Marion Wright Edelman, and Penny Patch. Will you heed the call? Will you stand up right now for justice? Will you let Jesus change your name? The world is awaiting your answer. The walls of injustice and build up a new world. I hope so. Please stand and sing in your and turn in your Sing the Journey books to number two, Hamba Nathi, Come Walk With Us. We're going to sing the first verse in Zulu, and then we will sing all four verses in English. And after a few verses of singing, you're welcome to go out from this place. Anna will be singing the leader part, and I will be joining you on the congregation part. Oh, my. 